In the holy name of Jesus. Every one of you has got a story. And if we went around the room and we each had our say, and if each of us was completely honest, I am not sure that the results would be very pretty. If each of us were completely honest, many of our stories would be broken or incomplete. They would be stories about being lonely or unloved or hurting someone or being hurt or even about failing. And it wasn't any different in Jesus' day. So why in the world on Pentecost does Jesus start his church by taking the first 3,000 volunteers who raise their hands. This is a crazy way to build a church. Everybody knows that if an organization is going to succeed, then you need to have the right persons in the right places. But the Pentecost story doesn't look anything like that. When we are choosing, we demand essays and references and resumes. Kids apply to college and electricians have apprenticeships, and lawyers pass the bar. But Peter and the boys at Pentecost, what could they possibly be thinking about? They preach folks into the word and then into the waters of baptism. And if they carry on like that, how is the church ever going to amount to anything? If they just take the first 3,000 people who raise their hand... How can the church ever be successful? And yet the fact is that the church has amounted to more than all the rest of the world combined. And so this morning, how do we explain the church's success? We should start by recognizing the most remarkable thing about those early Christians is that they are unremarkable. Before Jesus picked his twelve, we would expect him to sift and screen with care, to choose men because of their prior experience or their great leadership potential, or because of their unusual spiritual insight. But the Bible doesn't really mention too much about those kinds of qualifications. Instead, it says that one day, rather abruptly, after he'd prayed a bit, Jesus simply began choosing some men to help him do his work. It's almost as if the Bible goes out of its way to assure us that none of these men were amazing in any particular fashion. Unscreened and untested and unreferenced and unresumed, they are sent out to proclaim the kingdom of God. And in the centuries since then, the church has turned out to be the most remarkable and enduring and courageous and compassionate institution that history has ever known. How did that happen? It happened because Pentecost is an exercise where Jesus trades his story for ours. 
Here is his story as it has been enfolding this church year. He takes flesh born of Mary. He gets crucified, suffers, dies, rises, and ascends to heaven. He today sits at the right hand of God, praying for you. As the scriptures say, he lives to make intercession for each one of you. He prays all day long. And today he sends his Holy Spirit laden with gifts. That is his story. He preaches his gospel through his servants. Still today, he preaches folks into his word and into his water. They come out again tattooed with his name in baptism. He preaches them to the Eucharist where they receive his body and blood. He sends them out going into the Christian life, still gathering us week after week around preaching and teaching and prayers and fellowship and the breaking of the bread, Acts chapter 2, verse 42. That is his story. He makes us church. He bids us to love God. And more than that, he bids us to love our neighbor as ourselves. That love was so strong in the early church that we see in Acts 2.44, those first Christians sold all they had and they gave it to the church and they trusted their pastors to distribute the common pot for the common good. That is his story. It is the covenantal story of God's gracious presence here with us in Christ. It is a story of being loved and consoled and satisfied and used with purpose by someone, God himself, for something, his church, greater than any of us. His story is the story of using us to go home to Eden. And he is here again this Pentecost. He is here specifically to trade you up and trade you out of your own stories. To trade you out of a life that is less. A life that is broken and incomplete. Hurting and being hurt. A life that is even failing. And he is doing that without demands, without pre-screening, and without qualifications. That is why the church celebrates the day of Pentecost. That is why the feast day of Pentecost is such a bright gospel spot for us. Because if you look around the room today and you listen to our stories, what you will see and what you will hear is that you and I have precisely the same qualifications as those first apostles and those first congregations. That is to say, we have none. There are more than a dozen of you here today. There are less than 3,000. But when you look at us and we tell our stories, our backgrounds and our lives, When we look at each other, who among us is worthy of an invitation to repentance? Who among us is worthy to be baptized and then to receive the body and blood of Christ? Who among us is really suited, based on our past experiences and our present attributes, to proclaim the gospel to an unbelieving world? Who among us? is qualified to bring the broken world back to Eden in the name of Jesus. And yet there is the catechism. He chose us, he called us to repentance, he baptized us that I may be his own, 
and live under him and his kingdom and serve him in everlasting righteousness, innocence, and blessedness. This is most certainly true. That is the story of Pentecost. That he chose Abraham the liar and Moses the murderer and David the adulterer. That he chose Matthew the tax collector and Peter the hothead and Judas the betrayer. That he chose the first 3,000 persons who raised their hand on Pentecost and that he also chose you. Jesus looks at you this morning knowing your stories and says, you know, I could use a sinner like you, a man of your miserliness, a woman with your gossipy tongue, a kid like you who works his mother's last nerve even on Mother's Day. I could use you because I can give you a different story. And so it turns out that we were right all along. You do need the right person in the right job, but it also turns out that only Christ is fit for Christ's job. And so he draws us to himself today. All that we are, and quite frankly, all that we are not. And he pulls us all into service of his church for love of God and service to others. It's not about you. It's not the way we would have done it, using unremarkable folks of unequal skills and checkered paths and broken lives and questionable character. It is not the way we would have done it, but that is the thing that makes Pentecost all the more remarkable. In fact, it is actually a miracle that you are here today. It is a Pentecost miracle that once again you have been drawn in and gathered around word and sacrament that you have been drawn to the presence of Christ, and that is all yours, all for free. And now anything is possible. On Pentecost, it is actually possible that liars might speak the truth and that murderers might become apostles and that unfaithful folk might become kings that the cruel might become kind, that the miserly might become generous, that the angry might learn to love peace and the hard-hearted might actually repent. And all the sinners are forgiven. And all of that, not because it's your story, not because you're running by your own steam, but because Christ has given you his story. Anything is possible on Pentecost because he has traded you and yours for him and his. And it is a story which you are now free to live, just like those first 3,000. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' teaching and fellowship, in the breaking of the bread, and in the prayers. And they had all things in common. Acts chapter 2. In the holy name of Jesus, amen.